adult choir and youth choir and children's choirs for opening us in worship this morning with that beautiful depiction of a call to worship from Psalm 150. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3. We noted at the very beginning of the year that our focus this year as a church would be, in terms of a theme, would be a focus upon the church itself. And we're looking at six aspects of the church. We began back in January with a reflection on evangelism. And over the course of the last few weeks, we've been encouraging you in terms of discipleship. And this morning, I'd like to look at a call to discipleship from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verses, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. As we think about discipleship, we normally think of discipleship in terms of a process of sanctification. It's a part of our growth and becoming more like the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gave us this call for discipleship in Matthew chapter 28. If you want to turn there just quickly, you probably know this text by heart. At the very end of Matthew chapter 28, we have this great command from Christ, this great call to the disciples of Christ to live our lives in this way. Listen what Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How do we make disciples? We share the gospel with them. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them. We disciple them. We encourage their hearts and growth in Christ by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we think about the church and the church's responsibility, we oftentimes think of that as well in terms of the proclamation of the gospel. We spend lots of time and energy and resources thinking how we can take this gospel narrative, this gospel message, and share it with others. And yet, at the same time, we bear the responsibility of discipling one another. And so friends, for those of you who are believers today, the primary focus and purpose of our gathering is for growth in the person of the Lord Jesus, that the church might be equipped for the work of ministry. We do that in a variety of different ways here at Woodlawn. One, in the context of a Sunday morning, We have Sunday school that begins at 9 o'clock, and we're all going through the book of Genesis together. For what purpose? So that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We gather now in this time of corporate worship. For what purpose? So that we might be equipped for the work of ministry. We come back on Sunday afternoons from 5 to 6 for our adults, and we participate in life groups, an opportunity to reflect in a same-sex co-ed group of people on the text of Scripture that was preached that morning so that we can encourage one another in the faith that we might 
challenge one another in the faith, that we can pray for one another, that we can hold one another accountable. Our children gather on Wednesday nights from preschool to children to to youth and uh, to be encouraged and discipled in terms of of, uh, singing and and worship. And then Sunday night, starting at 6 o'clock until 11 p.m., our college students are here on campus engaging in the Word of God, challenging one another, encouraging one another. We also do this on Wednesday nights, for example, in the life of our children through our Awana ministry. The purpose of Awana is to sow the seeds of the truth of God's Word in the hearts and lives of our children as they memorize Scripture and then learn how to live that text of Scripture out. We carry a command from God to be encouraging one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 in this text of Scripture that we'll look at today is part of a larger text in the book of Hebrews as it relates to warning passages. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews at large, is one of those texts that has these very intentional, very pointed warning passages as it concerns brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us in our faith. And this text this morning is one of those warning passages. The author begins in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and it reminds us of the superiority of Christ. Christ is, in every measurable way, superior to every imaginable person, even including Moses. But notice how the author uses even Moses in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Both Moses and Jesus are examples of what to believers? Examples of faithfulness. The author holds up Moses and Christ as two people that we as believers can emulate. And then the warning begins here and a reflection from Psalm 95 that is ultimately a reflection of the narrative of Israel's wandering in the desert, but more particularly Numbers chapter 14. And as the writer reflects on Numbers chapter 14, he grants us this warning that begins in verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Take care. Some of your Bibles translate that. See to it. Pay careful, close, intentional care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to turn away, to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort encourage one another every day as long as as it is called day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm 
to the end. Our growth in Christ, our joyful participation in discipleship, our growth in Christ demonstrates, the writer of Hebrews says, that we are indeed members of God's household. Let me say it to you this way. The way that we participate with one another, the way that we actively participate in the body of Christ, among the body of Christ, and with the body of Christ, demonstrates our faith in the person of Christ. Let me demonstrate this to you from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through first, verses 12, 13, and 14. Notice what he says beginning in verse 12. We must be regularly on guard. We must be regularly on guard. There isn't a moment in the Christian's journey in which we can come to that point where we say, ah, I've arrived. In fact, the only time that we will ever be able to come to that moment is when Christ himself returns. But until that moment in which Christ returns, we can never take a break. We can never take a time out. We can never take a pause. We must be continually vigilant as it relates or concerns our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he begins this in verse 12 with an imperative. See to it. This is something that you absolutely must do. You must be on guard. Or notice how he says it in the ESV, take great care. Now to whom is the author of Hebrews writing? Is he writing to believers? Is he giving a warning to unbelievers? To whom is he writing? Notice what the text of Scripture says back in chapter 3, verse 1. As this narrative begins in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, and we might add this morning, holy brothers and sisters, we can say, therefore, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are these holy persons? You who share in a heavenly calling. Notice again, chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful. He is faithful over what? God's house. Who is God's house? The church, holy brothers, brothers and sisters. This, my friends, is a very pointed challenge to those who carry the name of Christ. Friend, if you are here today and you make a claim that your life has been transformed by the power of the gospel, hear this very pointed warning from the writer of Hebrews. Take care, brothers and sisters in Christ, lest there be any of you who has an evil, 
unbelieving, disobedient heart leading you to turn away from the living God. Notice the corporate nature of this passage of Scripture, friends. How do we ultimately live our lives out on mission with God as individual members of the body of Christ? We ultimately and rightly live that expression out corporately. Notice this text of Scripture. Paul is very, or the writer of uh, Hebrews, I said Paul, that's wrong, it's Luke. The writer of Hebrews is pointedly directing his attention, his focus, in this corporate nature. So we might say this morning, the only way for us to rightly grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, the only way for us to regularly be on guard in terms of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as this is as we do that in a corporate nature. In other words, we desperately need one another on this discipleship journey. Or we might say it this way, we desperately need one another on this process of sanctification. In other words, my sanctification is directly tied to my participation in the body of Christ. Take care, brothers. Notice the corporate nature of this passage of Scripture. This is the way that we are to care and be concerned with one another. What is our concern with? Our faith. Our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, one of the reasons we stress the importance of this gathering now is because your participation in this gathering now is directly tied to your growth and discipleship. The reason why we emphasize this participation is because without this participation, my heart has a deep My heart has a deep temptation to stray. James writes of this straying, and he too issues a warning to the body of Christ. Look with me in the book of James, as James gives this warning likewise to the people of God as it relates the temptation to turn away from our relationship with Christ. James, at the very end in chapter 5, has this reflection and issues this warning. In fact, this is a plea for you to join us for camp this summer. We're going to spend eight sessions together in the book of James. So I want to encourage you to join us for summer camp that's coming up in the month of July. Listen to what James is doing here. In James chapter 5, From verse 7 all the way down to the end, James is giving a warning to those who might be tempted to walk away from the faith. So let's begin reading in chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? 
let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Now the temptation is to read this word sick in this passage of Scripture to think that what James is talking about is if someone is sick physically. But contextually, Paul, uh, uh, James is not talking about people who are sick uh, physically. James is talking about people who are sick spiritually. And what is that sickness spiritually that you might have a temptation due to suffering to turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why? Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Friends, this word save in James chapter 5 is also another indication that clearly communicates to us Paul is not, or the writer or James is not talking about someone who is physically sick. James is talking about someone who is spiritually sick and the need and the necessity of the soul being saved from the temptation to turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the warning that the writer in Hebrews is giving to the body of Christ, that we live our lives with this type of intention, with this type of focus, with this type of direction, that we care so well for one another. Why? The temptation is that through disobedience, I have an evil heart. What is the cure for my disobedience? What is the cure for my disobedience? Too often, friends, our cure for disobedience is overly individualized. We live in a culture that highlights the individual. We don't live in a culture that highlights community by and large. So the temptation, even in the context of the Christian family, is to think that all I need is the Spirit of God, the Bible, me, and Jesus. And there's a lot of truth to that, friend. But do you hear the warning of this passage of Scripture? Don't think, friend, that you can rightly live with Christ and live your life disconnected from the body of Christ. If you live your life disconnected from the body of Christ, I promise you, the warning giving, given in the context of this passage of Scripture will indeed grip your heart and lead you to an eternity separated from a holy, righteous, loving God. 
Now be careful that you didn't understand me to say, Pastor just said you can lose your salvation. You remember what I said at the very beginning of this sermon? That this text of Scripture shows us that our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, our joyful participation in the body of Christ demonstrates what? It demonstrates we are members, chapter 3, verse 6, of God's household. How do I demonstrate that I am indeed a faithful follower of Christ? One of the ways that I demonstrate that, one of the main ways that I demonstrate that is by my faithful participation in the body of Christ. This is a dire warning to the one seated in this building today who thinks you can rightly walk with God and be disconnected from the body of Christ. The New Testament knows of no such creature who claims God as his father, but rejects the church as his mother. Disconnection from the body of Christ. The writer of Hebrews gives us should elicit in our hearts, should send off in our hearts loud alarms concerning our right relationship with Christ. See, friends, Jesus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, He is our example of faithfulness. But you might be prone to think, well, I have trusted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am indeed this believer that he speaks of in chapter 3, verse 12, and chapter 3, verse 1, and again in chapter 3, verse 6. I, I know for a fact that I have trusted in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So your temptation might be this morning to, to check out on this sermon. I'm not worried about this warning passage. But friend, let me remind you again, this warning passage is for you and for me. This is not a warning passage to those who are outside the context of the church. This is a warning passage for us who are in the context of the church. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is stating what the rest of the testimony of Scripture indicates. And we'll look at some of those passages at the conclusion of this sermon this morning. And what is that truth? That there are a lot of people who participate in the body of Christ who don't have a right relationship with Christ. And the writer, by the Spirit, through His Word, has given the challenge to you and me. See to it. Take care that you do not turn away Turn away from whom? The living God. Friend, may I ask you a question this morning? How are you guarding your heart? 
How are you guarding your heart to ensure that you are living rightly with Christ? Prayer. Let me ask you another question. How are you guarding the hearts of others in the context of this body of Christ? See, friends, that's the focus of this text. That's the focus of what the author is communicating. How are you individually guarding the heart of the person seated next to you? How are you guarding the heart of the person seated in front of you? You who are over here to my left and on the right, how are you guarding the heart of the people who are seated on the far right? And how are you on the left center guarding the heart of those on the right center and vice versa? And you in the balcony, how are you guarding the hearts of the people seated on the floor? Did you come to church this morning with the expectation of knowing that your right participation in the body of Christ will have a direct effect on someone near you? Who is to take care, friends? Who is to live their lives in this way? so that our hearts aren't tempted to turn away from the God that we claim we love? You, and 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 you in the balcony. And every one of us. You, take care, brothers and sisters, so that you are not turned away from the living God. But notice verse 13. How do we do this? How do we live our lives in this way? But you exhort. Is that you singular or plural? You've caught on by now, it's plural. But you, y'all, us, every one of you, we should and must exhort one another how? Every day. So what does he tell us here in verse 13? We must daily encourage one another in faith. For how long can you hit the pause button, friend? How many days can you take a time out from your journey with Christ? How many months of vacation can you take from church? How many days 
Can you disconnect from engaging with the body of Christ? How do we avoid the dire warning given in chapter 12 to turn away from a living God? Notice how how the writer tells us we can do that. We can do that by exhorting, by encouraging one another every day. Now, in case you're wondering, (coughs) in case you're wondering just how long this day is, in case you're wondering what is this day, when can I stop this level of engagement in discipleship, notice what he says, as long as it is called today. Does somebody want to guess how long it is called today? Well, there's a for sure ending point to this text. Today is every day until Christ returns. You say, ah, pastor... I know that you think I should show up here at least 50% of the time on Sundays. What does the text expect of us in terms of a Christian journey? What does the text expect of us as a means of guarding our hearts against the deceitfulness of sin? Encourage, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, you can't even rightly journey with God by only showing up here on Sunday mornings and then living your life disconnected from the body of Christ Saturday, Sunday afternoon through the following Sunday morning. How often do you, how often do I need the encouragement of the body of Christ? Every single day. Friends, this is one of the reasons why we encourage you to participate on Sunday nights in life group. Because it's impossible for even me as an individual, while the pastors of this church do bear and carry a great responsibility of knowing the body of Christ, it's impossible for me to connect with every one of you on a given day. I can't do it. But I can connect with the four or five men who are in my life group and encourage them in faith. I can connect with my family and encourage them in faith. Do you sense the weightiness of participation in the body of Christ? In fact, this text reminds us of another text in Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to the text in Hebrews chapter 10, and almost the exact same language is used. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but listen to this word, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, discipleship is not something that only takes place on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. Discipleship is the way the church loves and cares for and pursues one another every day of the week. And why this warning? There is a corporate nature to this passage of Scripture. But there's also an individual expression to the passage of Scripture. Look with me in chapter 12, verse 15. Why should we live our lives corporately in this way? Chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You've heard the expression, one bad apple spoils the barrel. How do we guard the integrity of the body of Christ? By continually encouraging and challenging and praying for one another. Why? You see what the writer of Hebrews says? All it takes, all it takes, friends, all it takes is so into the very fabric of the church division and disunity. is one root of bitterness. How do we guard that root of bitterness? From springing forth? How do we guard that root of bitterness from taking hold of our own hearts and our own lives? as we rightly live in connection with one another. See, friends, you and I desperately need one another to rightly live our lives on mission with God. There is far more going on, or should be far more going on in our gathering with one another than you listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning. And that's important. Friends, one of the joys of living life in the context of this passage of Scripture, in my opinion, one of my favorite moments of the week are the 30 minutes at the conclusion of this service. If you've never seen it, hang around today when the service is over. 
Don't be the first one to rush out the back of the door. Why? What's taking place? Conversations. People encouraging one another. People challenging one another. People connecting with one another. Friends, this is how God has designed us to exhort, to encourage every day, every moment. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't think that you are too far removed from the power of sin in your life. Don't suppose yourself to be too godly that you don't think sin can grab a hold of your life. This is why the writer of Hebrews exhorts us in just a few chapters later to lay aside every sin which so easily clings to us. Why? Sin is a reality even for those of us who claim the name of Christ. And notice what he does in 14. Verse 12, we must be on guard. Verse 13, we must daily be engaged in encouraging one another. Why? Verse 14, our continued growth in Christ demonstrates we are members of God's house. Look at it, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed... We hold our original confidence firm to the end. Why do we engage regularly? Why do we encourage regularly? Because my participation in those things demonstrates I am a member of God's household, for we have come. And the Greek New Testament place in the perfect tense, which is, carries with it an idea of something that has happened in the past and carries with it at the very present uh, implications. So the writer is talking about, for we have come. He's reflecting on salvation. There was a moment in my life in which I trusted in Christ, and that trust and faith and hope in Christ is continuing to work in my life even at this very moment, it's bearing fruit in my life. For we have come to do what? Share in Christ. Who are those that share in Christ? Chapter 3, verse 1, Holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, those who participate rightly in the body of Christ. The grounds for why he's made this appeal to live our lives in this way 
is grounded firmly in this understanding that my participation in discipleship, my participation in the body of Christ is the way in which, according to this text, I demonstrate I am indeed a member of God's household. What is your participation communicating, friend? What does your participation communicate to your children? What does your participation communicate to a coworker? What does your participation communicate to a neighbor? What does your communication particip- what is your communication what does your participation communicate not only to a neighbor to a child to a coworker watch it from this text what does your participation communicate to one another For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. How? Firm to the end. Go back with me to chapter 3, verse 6 for just a moment. Listen how the writer communicates this truth in chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Look with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. Hold on, can I take a time out just for a minute? Perhaps you're wondering, Pastor, and and by the way, I'm not preaching through the book of Hebrews, so there's a lot that I could have said in this passage of Scripture. For example, we could go back to verse 12. You've heard my translation of verse 12. Some of your Bibles in chapter 3, verse 12, say, uh, fall away. You heard my translation of of turn away. I'm, I'm glad to articulate to you why I give it that translation. Not just I, there are plenty of others who are doing that, even some of your own texts this morning. What is taking place in these warning passages at large in the book of Hebrews? First, I'd like to argue to you that these warning passages are absolutely warning passages to whom? Believers. And what is the primary concern that these warning passages are communicating? Loss of salvation? No. Are they primarily communicating that perhaps you've never been a believer? No, I don't think that's ultimately the primary purpose. What are they communicating? 
loss of reward. See, the way you and I live our lives now direct, has a direct effect on the way in which we will live our lives now rightly with God and for an eternity. So the question hinges on what has taken place with this wilderness generation. What do we know about the wilderness generation? Did they make it to Canaan land? No. Is that an indication that the wilderness generation were unbelievers? In other words, they did not have faith in God. Does it communicate that they were not part of God's covenant people? And I want to answer that to you in the negative. What did it mean? It meant that they lost the reward of entering into the promised land. Who got to go into the promised land? Caleb and a future generation. Look with me just real quickly in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Now you still remember I'm on a timeout, right? And by the way, I remember where my timeout ended this time, as opposed to last Sunday, okay? I made a strong mental mark today. Chapter 14 of Numbers. Chapter 14 of Numbers. What's taking place? The people are going to rebel. How are they rebelling? They're complaining against God. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Who were the people ultimately complaining against? Moses and Aaron? God. So they want a new leader, and they want to go back to Egypt. Verse 4. Verse 5. Moses does what he does over and over and over for the people. He acts as an intercessor. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, and they tore their clothes. Verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said uh, to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long would this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Uh-oh. Verse 13, But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they, they will tell the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, is it because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land that he swore to them, to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness? And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Notice 
Moses' part plea here, verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And notice verse 20, what does the Lord do as Moses intercedes? Then the Lord said, I have, what? Pardoned according to your word. These people are not removed from being the covenantal people of God. However, they have lost their reward of entering the promised land. Now back to our time out being over. We're to live in this way. We're to encourage one another in this way. We're to exhort one another in this way. Why? Because these warning texts speak of a reality that is indeed true. As he says, the end of verse 14, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. First John, I'd ask you to turn to, sorry, first John. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded how? Through faith. For salvation ready to be revealed when? In the last time. You remember Jesus' words? He who endures to the end will be saved. See, our growth in Christ demonstrates that we are indeed members of God's household. I demonstrate my firm commitment to Christ, my growth in Christ, my, my discipleship, as I rightly participate in the body of Christ and live my life out on faith with him, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews, notice what the text says, he said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do we continue to demonstrate faithfulness to Christ? Through faith, through obedience, Jesus says, to the very word and words of God. And listen to how Paul would communicate this in a text that you've heard a couple of times already this year. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 through 23. I'll begin reading in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And notice the same language. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Would you feel the weightiness of this text this morning and reflect in your own life? What does that discipleship process look like for you? Can it be said of you that you today at this very moment are growing in Christ because of your faithful participation in the body of Christ? Can you say of someone else that you know in a very real way there are, there's someone else, there are three other someones, there are five other someones who are growing in Christ because you are faithfully pouring in to their life. Friend, this text reminds each of us who are members of this body of Christ, we can't do it alone. We can't do it by just participating on Sunday mornings two times a month. But we can do it by joyfully encouraging and loving and challenging and guarding one another every single day. This is what it means to rightly participate in the body of Christ and be discipled by that body. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the body of Christ that you have granted to us, that you've given to us as a means of growth in Christ. And Lord, this morning we pray as we reflect on this body that indeed, God, you would cause us by your Spirit to participate in this way. That in a very real way, Lord, our participation would be a means of encouragement to one another. That we would partner with one another to guard our hearts to challenge our growth in Christ. By your Spirit and through your Word, God, would you cause us to live out our lives in this way? Would you take a few moments where you're seated today and just reflect on your participation in the body of Christ? How do you take hold? How are you seeing to it that those seated around you are growing in Christ?
if you stop participating, if you stopped engaging, have you stopped because you got your feelings hurt? Have you stopped because they changed the Sunday school teacher that you loved? Have you stopped because, quite honestly, growth in Christ and discipleship have not been a priority for you? Would you confess those this morning to the Lord and purpose again? Lord, I'm going to rightly engage. Would you renew your commitment to participation in the body of Christ? Would you renew a commitment to encourage the faith of others? And on the flip side, friends, if we're going to rightly live out our lives in this way, we also must, must walk with a sense of humility. For let's just be honest, there are times when we so desperately need this body of Christ to tell us we're in sin. There are times when I need a, a member of my life group to challenge me that I'm not walking right. There are times when I need a phone call from somebody in this church that says to me, you're not rightly participating in the body of Christ. How do you respond to those conversations, friends? Perhaps you're here today, friend, and you've never trusted in Christ. You can't live out your life on mission with Christ in this way, connected to the body, and never having trusted Christ. We would plead with you to hear the words of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1-6, through 6, and see the faithfulness of Christ and see your unfaithfulness and repent of your sins and trust in Christ. In just a moment, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. If you're here and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. We would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ and thus rightly live out your life on mission with Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward and speak to one of us as we sing. Please feel free to Turn to someone seated next to you in this building, for there are plenty of people seated around you who, who would be delighted in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, maybe you would like for one of us just to pray with you. For you know in your own life, you've not been rightly participating, engaging, guarding, and God this morning by His Spirit and through His Word has convicted you of that, and you would like for us to pray for you that the truths of this text might indeed be lived out in your life. I can think of no greater way to shepherd your heart than by praying for you to live out your life faithfully to Christ. Or thirdly, maybe God is impressive on your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected for you to live out your life in faithful obedience to the Word of God.
this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, we ask that our responses might be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.